Let us then turn to chapter 7 of Amos for the second time. We looked at a part of this chapter last week and we want to finish the remaining section uh, this Wednesday evening. Our text then will be taken from verses 7 to 17, that section verses 7 to 17 of, Acts, uh, of Amos chapter 7 will be our text for this evening. The title I'd like to give to our meditation is The Last Straw. The Last Straw. In this chapter, Amos, we read of three visions that he received, and we looked at two of them last week. And what we basically drew from these two visions, that Amos interceded for the people because these visions uh, depicted devastation for Israel, devastation that the Lord their God was going to bring upon them. And Amos, being a sensitive, sensitive individual, he prayed and his intercession was heard. For instance, there, verse 6, this also, this is maybe to emphasize, this also shall not be, saith the Lord. The last vision, it would not come to pass. And the second vision, this also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Well, there are basically two things in this remaining verses for us to consider this evening. Two things really from verse 7 to 17. And the first thing we have here is uh, from verses 7 to 9, we have the third vision. Thus he showed me, verse 7, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Now, I'm not a DIY man or a builder, but a plumb line is used, I do believe, by a builder. If he's building a wall, he will use this plumb line to make sure that the wall is straight and vertical. And uh, what is this vision here te teaching us? What is he talking about when the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line? Well, some commentators maintain that this is a reference to Israel. Israel is the wall, and the Lord is measuring them by the plumb line to see whether they are righteous or not. Now, that's a good interpretation, and I wouldn't dismiss it. But Calvin's not of the opinion that's what his, the vision is talking about at all. Rather, he maintains that the plumb line is a reference to God himself in the sense that I have come to an end. Righteousness is what I'm looking for. This is the plumb line. This is as far as I will go. I am now drawing a line, a plumb line, under Israel itself. And he's judging Israel, and he is basically saying, well, 
now this is my plumb line. I am actually going to execute what I have determined. That's what's going to happen. And maybe that interpretation is more accurate because what does he say here in verse 8? I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Whatever interpretation you accept, or maybe there may well be another interpretation, it really doesn't matter because what it is teaching us here is, and we can tell this by the non-reaction of Amos. You notice that the first two visions, Amos interceded. There was no intercession here. The Lord was making clear to this vision, in this vision to Amos that there's no point in praying. There's no point in turning to me in prayer now. I'm not to be interceded for this matter. It's a done deal as far as God is concerned. The judgment that he had threatened and averted previously is now going to be fulfilled. And Amos doesn't intercede. He gets no incentive, not a rebuke or an incentive. He doesn't. He's silent because, as the vision would reveal, God has determined this is what is going to happen. Now, this is quite awesome when you consider God is, is now implacable. What does that mean? Well, he cannot be appeased. Things have gone so far. The plumb line, his righteousness, the level of his righteousness, the standard of his righteousness has not been met. And therefore, judgment is going to fall upon his people in Israel. And that's what this vision teaches us. That there will come a time, as it, as it was here, when God cannot be appeased. Now this may happen to an individual. It may happen to a, a family. It may happen to a, a congregation. It may happen to a denomination. It may happen to the church at large. Or a part of the church as it did here. Israel, a part of the church. The other church was Judah. They were separated, but they were part of the covenant people of God. And God had said, enough. He is going to carry out what he has long threatened by the faithful preaching of Amos and other prophets. This can happen to a nation. This will one day happen to the world when the, the world will end as we know it. No matter who laughs about it or who discounts this idea, yet this will come. The world as we know it will end one day. This is man's day, but God will have his day. And there'll come a time when we will not know the grace of God. 
It's a very solemn thing. It's a solemn matter to consider. And we have to keep reminding ourselves and bring this home to our hearts and to our minds. But Amos is not addressing Muslims or or Hindus or idolaters, well, idolaters, yes, but but not out-and-out out heathens. No. He is addressing what we would say today, and it would not be a distortion of God's word. He is addressing the professing Christian church, of which we are part of that church. And therefore, he is addressing us. He is addressing you. His plumb line is here this evening. Does your life match up to the way that God would have his people to walk under? That's the matter. And as we go through this chapter here, we will see this plumb line being, being applied, if you carry it through, being applied to a priest and to the prophet. And you'll see the contrast to, if you like, professional people, professional religious people, the prophet Amaziah, how does the plumb line affect him, where does he stand, and Amos, there's a sharp contrast, and therefore this is for us this evening, this is for Partick, this is for all of us. God has his standard, and he demands that standard of his people, and there are no excuses. And they were to find out that one day God would not hear their prayers. God would not call them to repentance. He could not be appeased. He was implacable. Very, very solemn words. Well, this is what happened here. Well, the second thing we notice under the heading, the last straw, the second thing we notice here is Amos, uh, Amos. He encounters opposition to his ministry. And this is what takes up the bulk of the remainder of the chapter from verses 10 to 17. Here, he encounters opposition to his prophetic ministry. <coughs> now, the Christians will know about opposition. They will know about it. It comes with the territory. Opposition can come overtly, like here, that is openly, direct. This is what happened here or it can come covertly, not openly, not openly acknowledged or displayed. And the likelihood is that this opposition that was demonstrated by Amaziah, the priest here, first of all, it was more than likely covertly. That is, it was hidden. He didn't like what Amos was saying, but he didn't say too much about it. Amos had been prophesying for some time, and as we've gone through the book of Amos, his messages were direct, they were blunt, uh, 
They were not messages that would pat them on their back for their behavior. Instead, it was messages that would cut them to the heart. It would expose their hypocrisy and uh, their sins, and they would not like it. And Amaziah, being a professional believer, if you like, a man who made his living from religion, he would not like what he heard from uh, Amos. But he kept it to himself until this time. This was, as far as he was concerned, this was the last straw. As it was the last straw for the Lord, so it also was the last straw for Amaziah. He could not hold his tongue any longer. That opposition that was hidden came out. And that's what usually what happens. Christians can experience this opposition. Ministers can experience it. Office bearers can experience it. People don't really say that much. They, they don't respond very much. They keep their comments to themselves for a period of time. But something comes along. And what happens? Their opposition comes out as it does here. It's overly. It's open. This is what happens. And we will know something about that if we're Christians. We're not all uh, gospel ministers. We're not all office bearers. But I do believe all of us here this evening are professing Christians. And if we are professing Christians, we will know something about opposition. And therefore, there are one or two lessons that we can learn as we go through here Amos's experience. How does he seek to silence him? Well, first of all, he calls upon authority. What do we find here in verse 10? Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. Here he goes, straight to the top. He goes to the authority. In the situation that we're looking at here, Jeroboam was the head of the nation, and he charges Amos with uh, causing upheaval. He has conspired against the mutiny, as it were. And he goes right to the head. He wants to make an example of Amos. He calls upon the powers that be, in this, case, in this case, the state and the king. Now that's what happens very often when people don't like what you say in your respective sphere that you operate in. If they don't like it, they'll go to someone else. They'll go and tell someone, someone above you. If you're in a work situation and you... Uh, we're not saying you should be evangelizing in your work situation, but if you are there with people in a workplace and you're discussing things and they don't like what you say, they go up, they tell your boss, they tell someone, they try to make trouble for you. If you're a, if you're a gospel minister and you're in a Presbyterian setup, and some of the things you say that people don't like, well, what do they do? They might speak to the Kirk session. They might speak to the elders about you. 
or if they're really serious, they'll need to take the matter to the presbytery. If you're in a, an Episcopal church, what happens? Well, the people would go to the bishop. Or if you're in, a, in an independent church, what happens? Well, they would probably go, just go to the elders or the deacons. But that's what happens to silence you. They go to someone else, someone up higher, and they bring the complaint to someone whom they hope will deal with it. Now, there's no evidence here that Jeroboam took any notice of Amaziah. We don't have any reaction from the king. Maybe the king recognized that, well, this man indeed is a prophet. He is a prophet of the Lord, and he was not going to get involved with it. But Amaziah that's what he did. He called upon higher authority in order that he might be silenced. We find that in our own day, especially if you're on the street. People don't like what you say, and people are very ready to either make their comments known to you personally, or very often they will phone the police now, I have had not much problems with the police in my experience, but I have had occasions when people have reported me and they have come, the police, surprisingly, within literally 10 minutes. It is amazing how quick they can respond to uh, a man with a Bible, whereas other things are completely overlooked. This is what happened here. He calls upon authority. And he says there is a conspiracy. Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. He puts the worst possible uh, construction on Amos's words. What does he say? For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now, Amos didn't say that at all. He never said that. And he goes on, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Well, Amos has said that in the past. That's true. But he didn't say it in the chapter that we're looking at. But nevertheless, Amos has said that in previous occasions, but he never said that Jeroboam would die by the sword. But here they are distorting the words of the preacher. And friends, that can happen. And that can happen in congregations, because sometimes people who are sitting before, before a minister or before a preacher, they only listen to certain things. They listen to what they want to hear. And very often they can get things somewhat muddled and confused. This is what happened here. And of course, there's no mention of uh, Amos's prayers in the previous occasion. There's no mention of his entreaties. There's no mention of his intercessions. There's no mention that his prayers did avert disasters on previous occasions. There's no mention of that at all. 
They're very selective in what they want to record and what they want to report. It reminds you of the time when Elijah met King Ahab. King Ahab was a wicked king in the time of Elijah. And it was during the time of the drought. And the two of them met. And what did Ahab say to Elijah? It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? This is exactly really the sentiments that Amaziah was laying out here concerning Amos. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Hears this prophet Amos, hear the things he's saying about Israel and about Jeroboam. He is a troublemaker. Get rid of him. He's conspiring against you. He's bringing about your downfall. He's the one that troubles Israel. Well, in actual fact, it was Amaziah and the people who were troubling Israel because of their idolatry and because of their false worship. Not indeed Amos the prophet. And this is what you'll find, Christian. You'll find when uh, there's problems and opposition, people will twist what you see. And you must be careful and you must recognize it and realize this is all part of the, the evil one moving and working in our day and in our situation. You'll also notice that he creates division. This is what we find here when we look at verse 12. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. He's trying to create division. He is basically saying here to, a to Amos, on your bike, go back to Judah. Go back to that place there and preach the message that you're preaching here, there. They will happily accept it. For the people of Judah would love to hear about the judgment that's going to come upon the people of Israel. They'll be happy to receive you. But don't come with your message here. Instead, go back to your homeland. Go back to where you belong. Let them hear your fire and brimstone messages, but don't bring them here. Now we can find that in our own situation. We can find that when people say, well, you're from the highlands. Go up to the highlands and preach your messages of sin and repentance there. They'll accept it. But we don't accept that down here in the south. We're far more educated. We're far more refined. We have universities. We won't put up with this old-fashioned fire and brimstone repentance and sin and salvation and heaven and hell messages. No, 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 this is not for us. We're looking for far more refined preaching, preaching that pleases us. Go back up to where you belong. 
And that's what they'll say to Christians also. Away with your messages. Away with your repentance. We don't want that. We want something else. And you'll find opposition. If you're truly going to walk with the Lord, you will find that in your own experience. I don't have to highlight it. Now, Amos was flesh and blood. This would be a great temptation indeed for Amos. He could go and preach the message that God had given to him. He could go to Judah and he, he could go and preach the same word of the Lord. But he had been sent from Judah to go into Israel. It wasn't a message for Judah, it was a message for Israel. And he had to be faithful. He had to deliver that message to that people. And it would have been some sort of temptation. It would be much easier to head back home. Maybe he's also saying here, uh, Amos is saying here, and there eat bread and prophesy there. Maybe he's saying, you're just in it for the money. You're just in it for the money. Here you are. Here you are, down in Israel, feeding off us. Go back to your own country. Go back to your own place. Eat your bread there. See how you'll get on and prophesy there because you're just really a professional preacher or a professional prophet. You're just simply doing it for the money. That's all. But Amaziah was not going to have anything to do with it. He was going to defend himself. What do we find in verse 14, for instance? Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. I wasn't a prophet. I was, what was I, a herdman? I looked after animals and sycamore fruit. I was a man who worked with my hands. I was in the field all day. I knew what it was to work with the sweat of my brow. I was working away, and God called me. And this is always going to be the way with the preachers and with the prophets. They were always working men. They were always busy individuals, and they were called out of their occupation, whatever it was. They were not idle. They were not dilly-dallying. They were industrious men, and God laid his hand upon them and called them and took them from their vocation and took them into the, the prophetic ministry. And he says, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. That's probably a reference to the schools of the prophets that used to be in Israel and people who were being trained like, 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 like the seminaries of today, there were young men who would go into these seminaries and they would be trained in the Word of God. Well, Amos was nothing like that even. 
He could have no claim to the prophetic role whatsoever. He was far distant from it. But God took this man who probably couldn't read or write and took him into the, to the prophetic ministry that he might deliver the word of God from Judah into the people of Israel. What's he saying there? He is basically saying at the end of it, this is my call. This is what God has done. This is where I rest upon God has called me. And, and God has called him. No man can shut his mouth. None whatsoever. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for a leisurely lifestyle. He wasn't a professional religious individual. He was someone whom God put his stamp, his seal upon, and God gave him the word to declare. A word that the people couldn't bear. What does it say? The land is not able to bear all his words. Why? Because his words came with power. His words came with authority. Like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. No man spake like this man. No man spoke like the Lord Jesus Christ. No one spoke with such power and with a, such authority concerning the things of God that Jesus Christ spoke. And Amos knew something of that in his life and in his ministry. Well, he goes on. Amos or Amaziah tells Amos not to preach, not to prophesy. Go, flee, run away, back to, back to Judah. In verse 16, he says to Amaziah, Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city. In that time when judgment was going to come by the Assyrians, he would see this with his own eyes. The devastation that was going to come. It was going to strike his family. His wife would be a harlot. And thy sons and thy daughter shall fall by the sword. Terrible judgment was going to fall upon a professional religious individual. This gentleman here didn't meet the plumb line. And thy land shall be divided by line. It's going to be separated. The Assyrians are going to come, divided up for themselves. People are going to be taken captive. This is what's going to happen. 
Well, the first lesson we learned was that there'll come a time when God will be implacable. The second lesson we're meant to learn here, friends, is for our edification, that we will have opposition. We will have it. The minister of religion will have it. The office bearer will have it. And the private Christian will have it also. And it cannot be avoided. You can expect opposition as a Christian. You can expect to be resented, to be misunderstood, to be persecuted. You will be asked to keep your views to yourself. We're not talking about the, that you should be preaching when far from it, but when you will get an opportunity, even in everyday conversation, if you express Christian views, you'll be told, well, we don't want to hear that. We'll hear every other view, but we don't want that. And that's what happens. And you will know it, some of you, to some extent, even now, the things that I'm saying are coming true. The words that Paul said to, to Timothy, that he wrote to Timothy in Ephesus, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is what happened to Amos. He was a mouthpiece for the Lord. And he was asked to be silent. To be, he was persecuted. And the other lesson is, very often, the opposition comes from a very surprising source. It really should not have come from Amaziah. He was a priest. If things had been as they should have been, they should complement each other. They should be in this together. We have it in our own day. Very often, the greatest disappointment that you can have as a Christian is with fellow Christians. The greatest problem that the office bearers can have is with professing Christians. This is the way it is. It shouldn't be, but that can be the way. This is what we find here. The opposition came from a very surprising source. And surely the main lesson is we are not to despise the Word of God. This was Amaziah's sin. He despised it. So did the people. And judgment fell. It was the last straw for the Lord.